Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to the Canadian Apartment Properties REIT, REIT, sorry, REIT Second Quarter 2020 Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you require further assistance, please press star then 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today. David Mills, please go ahead, sir. Uh, Thank you, uh, Ian, and good morning, everyone. Before we begin, let me remind everyone that the following discussion may include comments that constitute forward-looking statements about expected future events and the financial and operating results of CAPRI. Our actual results may differ materially from these forward-looking statements. Such statements are subject to certain risks and uncertainties. Discussions concerning these risk factors, the forward-looking statements, and the factors and assumptions on which they are based can be found in CAPRI's regulatory filings, including our annual information form and MD&A, which can be attained at CDAR. I'll now turn things over to Mark Kenny, President and Chief Executive Officer. Thanks, David. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us. Scott Cryer, our Chief Financial Officer, is also with me this morning. Clearly, we've been operating in challenging times over the last few months. But with the contribution of our team and continued communications with our residents, our operating results may remain strong and stable, as you will see. Throughout this pandemic, we have focused on preserving capital, maintaining a strong and flexible financial position, mitigating risk, and generating the best operating results possible. I believe we are meeting these objectives and will emerge from this period stronger than ever. Our growth over the last 12 months has had a positive impact on our second quarter results as you can see on slide four. Revenues were up 15% over the same quarter last year, driven by the positive contribution from our acquisitions, increased monthly rents and continuing high occupancies. NOI rose almost 14% with NFFO up 11%, generating a very conservative 62% NFFO payout ratio. Looking ahead, we remain confident that this solid quarterly performance will continue throughout the remainder of this year. As economies return slowly, we expect to see improved results as we build on our presence as the preferred housing provider in our chosen markets. Turning to slide five, you can see that our results for the first six months of 2020 have remained strong and stable with solid increases in revenues, NOI, and NFFO. We are also pleased to see another period of strong 4.1% same property NOI growth. We believe this continued strong performance, despite the COVID-19 pandemic, is proof that we can generate strong and growing returns for our unit holders through both good good times and bad. For more than 22 years, we have built the team, the asset base, and the operating platform that can 
and will continue this track record of performance as the pandemic eases in the future. We were pleased to have completed the buyout of 11 of our 15 operating leases in the greater Toronto area over the last nine months for a total of approximately $165 million. The details of these buyouts are shown in slide six. The transition to fee simple ownership of these properties adds material new financing capacity, meaningful net asset value accretion, and unlocks the potential for future new development opportunities. We acted on these buyout opportunities earlier than scheduled, resulting in a 29% discount to the agreed upon price for the properties as set out in the operating leases. As slide seven shows, we significantly enhanced the size and scale of our property portfolio in 2019, acquiring 9,241 residential suites and MHC sites for approximately $1.4 billion. These acquisitions made a solid contribution to our results this year. In the first six months of 2020, we continued to grow with the purchase of another 1,724 suites for $467 million, including a large 1,503 suite portfolio in Halifax, transforming Capri into one of the largest owners of residential rental properties in this strong market. These acquisitions strengthen our market presence and drive economies of scale and operating synergies through our experienced and proven property management teams. From an operating perspective, we maintained our track record of solid performance in our stabilized portfolio, as you can see on slide eight. Occupancies remained at effectively full levels in the residential portfolio of our business. While net average monthly rent rose, driven by increases on turnovers and renewals. Our track record of organic growth also continues with same property NOI up 4.1% while maintaining a strong 64% NOI margin. We were also pleased that our NOI margins remain strong and resilient despite increased property tax, insurance, utilities, and one-time bad expenses this year. Despite the constraints placed on us by the COVID-19 pandemic, we continue to generate solid increases in rents on turnover and renewal, as shown on slide nine. Clearly, turnovers are being impacted by the ability of residents to move or personally visit our properties. Still, 10.4% increases in the Canadian portfolio and 8.9% in the Netherlands on turnover are solid results. Renewals have been affected by the rent increase freeze that we implemented on April 1 to help our residents work through these challenging times. As economies begin to open, we are now beginning to implement modest rent increases in consultation with our residents. Clearly, the last few months have been extremely challenging for Capri as we have adapted to the new reality of the COVID-19 pandemic. I am extremely proud of how our team has risen to the challenge and continued to run our business efficiently and effectively. I can't thank them enough for their efforts, their professionalism, and their dedication.
I also want to thank our residents for working with us. These are unprecedented times for everyone, and we appreciate being able to openly consult with our residents and understand the issues that they are facing. As we work through this pandemic, we remain highly employee and resident-centric in our business. With this focus, our objectives remain to preserve capital, maintain a strong and flexible financial position, to mitigate risk, and generate the best operating results possible in this challenging environment. Slide 11 outlines some of the operational initiatives that we are taking to ensure that we collect as much rent as is possible in these challenging times. Our compassionate care program continues across the country. Since March, we've been reaching out to our residents, checking in on them, and discussing any rent payment issues they may be facing. We are encouraging residents to sign up for our automatic pre-authorized online payment options, and we are advising them on government assistance programs should they be needed. In June, we began to slowly implement modest rent increases in certain markets as these economies started to open. As before, we are sensitive to how these increases are being received and respectfully discussing these issues with residents on a selective basis. With the start of the pandemic, we also implemented a rent payment program for certain residents facing severe economic hardship. By working with these residents and understanding their needs, we have only had to approve payment plans for less than half a percent of our total resident base. We continue to build on technology as a base to drive our operating efficiencies and foster close ties to our residents, as detailed on slide 12. With the advent of the pandemic, we accelerated the rollout of our resident portal enabling our residents to more easily communicate and transact with us. Since its launch, we've been adding many new and helpful features to the portal to increase resident take-up. For example, residents can now request a maintenance service online and set up pre-authorized rent payments also online. Other innovative features are being added that are resulting in very strong sign-up to the portal with a 56% adoption rate to date for our residents. With face-to-face -face meetings being difficult, our online virtual property and suite tours have allowed potential new residents to view a property and apply remotely through our online lease system. These systems have been up and running for some time and have been particularly helpful during the pandemic. However, as the economy opens in a number of our markets, we are seeing an increase in the number of personal visits and lease applications at our properties. We continue to maintain all of our COVID-19 protocols, and this increase in personal visits will help enhance occupancies going forward. Moving to slide 13, during this pandemic, we have characterized our business as back to basics. We are focused on collecting as much rent as possible by working with our residents, filling any vacancies and investigating all areas where we might find operational efficiencies. Our key focus has been on rent collection. And as you can see, with 98% of our June resident rents and 98% of our July residential rents collected, our efforts are working. 
And while we continue and listen and work with our residents facing economic hardship, we are taking steps to deal with those residents who are not willing to engage with us. In this light, we are pleased that the rent tribunal boards are slowly reopening in certain markets so that we can take a more serious approach to this small number of problematic residents who do not wish to engage. As you can see on slide 14, we've experienced very stable occupancies since the pandemic hit. We also believe that our small vacancy rate is not a reflection of the state of the overall rental market. As we emerge from this challenging time, we are confident that occupancies will increase quickly. A key issue has been the ability of potential new residents to visit properties and apply for leases. While our virtual tours have helped, it is no replacement for a personal visit. As the economy is opened in some markets, we are seeing a solid increase in in-person visits, and we expect occupancies to continue to strengthen. We also believe that our properties offer a highly affordable place to live in these uncertain times. Compared to the condo rentals and new build apartment properties, our apartments, townhomes, and MHCs rent for considerably less than other rental alternatives. At a very low average of approximately $1.10 per foot in Regina, for example, to about $2 a foot in BC. This compares very favorably to the $3 and $5 per square foot for smaller condo rentals and new build apartment properties. Our average suite size is also much larger at approximately 800 square feet. We have well-located, well-maintained, and our properties continue to offer Canadians the best value in the rental market. I'll now turn things over to Scott. Thanks, Mark. Turning to slide 15, you can see that we are clearly in a strong financial position at the end of the second quarter with a conservative debt to gross book value of 36.3% and increased total liquidity available of approximately 338 million. We also have 771 million in Canadian unencumbered properties available to generate funds should it be needed. Looking at our financings to August 11th, we have locked in a very low weighted average interest rate of 1.9% on 447 million in new financings. And we expect we will continue to benefit from the current low interest rate environment for some time. At quarter end, 99.2% of our mortgages incur a fixed interest rate. We are also confident that the debt markets and financing will remain highly available for our properties, given their stability and the strong fundamentals of the rental residential business. As of June 30th, just under 99% of our properties hold CMHC-insured mortgages. Turning to our balance sheet on slide 16, you can see that we continue to maintain a strong and flexible financial position at quarter end with conservative leverage, strengthened coverage ratios, and our historically low interest costs on our mortgage portfolio. Again, debt to GBV was a solid 36% at quarter end, providing financial resources and flexibility to help us work through these challenging times or to act opportunistically at the right time. 
Our mortgage portfolio remains well-balanced, as shown on slide 17. Looking ahead, our current ability to top up renewing mortgages will provide further significant liquidity in the event this pandemic lasts longer than we hope. As of June 30th, we expect to raise between $520 million and $570 million in total mortgage renewals and refinancing through the balance of 2020. We expect that the conversion of the 11 operating lease properties to fee-simple ownership to date could have incremental CMHC-insured mortgage capacity of over $500 million. You can also see on this graph that we have considerable opportunity to reduce our long-term interest costs in today's attractive interest rate environment. The current 5-year and 10-year estimate rates of approximately 1.4 and 1.8% are well below expiring mortgage rates of between 2.5 and 3.7% over the next 3 or 4 years. Overall, on the liquidity front, slide 18 demonstrates that we remain well positioned to work our way through these challenging times. As at June 30th, we had approximately $340 million in available liquidity including $125 million borrowing capacity on our acquisition and operating facility, and $214 million of cash and cash equivalents. Our total equity raises of $1.1 billion in 2019 positioned us strongly as we entered 2020. With our strong balance sheet and liquidity position, we are confident we have the financial resources to weather these storms and more. We remain highly opportunistic in our growth programs and our balance sheet strength allows us to potentially capitalize on a creative acquisition opportunities should they appear. An example was our ability to buy out our operating leases at a 29% discount to the contracted price. I'll now turn things back to Mark to wrap up. Thanks, Scott. As we all know, recent events around the globe have shed new light on issues related to diversity. I believe this is a time that we can pause and reflect on how we can do things better. At CAPRI, our commitment to diversity has been a key component of our approach to social responsibility for many years. I am very proud of where we are at. Today, we hold an almost equal gender split between self-identified men and women. On average, women represent over 47% of our annual hires since 2017. We were also very pleased to be recognized for our programs to advance women in leadership and career development. The first Canadian residential REIT to be recognized with a woman in governance certification. At CAPRI, we celebrate over 61 languages spoken among our employees, a reflection of the diverse makeup of the Canadian population. We also have a highly multi-generational workforce from 20-year-old millennials to people over 60. Our focus on building a diverse workforce represents the diverse nature of the stakeholders we interact with and support in all of our daily business activities. Our strong culture of diversity, inclusion, and equity is a distinct competitive advantage enabling us to deliver innovative approaches and solutions both within and outside the organization. For more details on our diversity and other programs, please refer to our 2020 ESG report. 
And while our progress has been significant, we know that we can always do better. We need to be more sensitive to the issues being experienced among the diverse communities in which we operate. We need to learn and educate ourselves about the issues facing diverse communities in Canada, and we are taking steps to do this. We need to take the time to understand and reflect on the challenges they face and adapt how we operate and interact with our residents and the communities in which they live. We can always do better, and we will do better. That is our commitment. In closing, we are confident that our long-term focus of making CAPRI the best place to live, work, and invest will take us through this challenging time and emerge stronger than ever. We remain committed to building strong relationships with our residents and providing them with a safe and affordable place to live. Again, I want to thank our residents for their support over the last few months. Our team continues to capitalize on our efficient and well-tuned operating platform to deliver the best possible results. I especially want to thank our employees at CAPRI for their hard work and commitment. Our frontline workers have bravely faced the challenge of serving our residents and our head office and regional office staff have worked tirelessly to keep us going strong. It is the experience of our team that is getting us through these difficult times. As the Canadian economy continues to slowly reopen, we are returning to more normal business activities and expect to see continued solid results going forward. And from an investment perspective, we believe the apartment industry remains a very defensive sector, one that has proven its ability to generate strong returns in both good times and in bad. A CAPRI, we remain very optimistic about our future. We have a highly conservative balance sheet with very low leverage, strong liquidity, with numerous sources of capital and our operating results have remained strong and stable throughout the pandemic. For our unit holders, we are also pleased to be included in the S&P TSX 60 Composite Index in June, a reflection of our significant growth and strong performance over the last 22 years. Thank you for your attention this morning, and we would now be pleased to take any questions that you may have. At this time, if you would like to ask your question over the phone lines, please press star, then one on your telephone keypad. We will pause for a moment while we compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from the line of Mark Rothschild of Canaccord. Your line is open. Thanks, Tank. Good morning, guys. Um, Good morning, Mark. Obviously, the bank collections have been quite strong. Um, what's your feeling to the, over the next few months as government help um, is reduced to to your residents and tenants um, do you feel that there's some risk that those um, numbers might come down somewhat and uh, how do you expect to handle that yeah I would expect that as the economies uh, open up provincially and uh, tribunals uh, return to normal that there will be um, offsetting benefit from our ability to deal with those residents that refuse to engage with us so I think that um, 
that we've been through a long period of time here now. Um, we're seeing that reopening happening, and when we do believe that that will have a positive contribution to to the rent receivable issue. Okay, great, thanks. And um, you spoke quite a bit already on the call about how you're dealing with um, tenants that might be struggling to pay rent, and as far as dealing with rent increases. And in your disclosure, you wrote about starting to increase rents where appropriate. Can you maybe talk a little bit about how you are handling this on such a big portfolio? Um, you obviously need to be systematic to some degree because you have so many buildings and so many tenants. Yeah, and, and it's a good point, Mark. We hear it often, but we also have what, what we feel to be the strongest possible team in the business. And at the end of the day, it's all about one-on-one -on -one interaction with our residents. So being understanding, allowing those balances to, to be managed as people adapt to a new financial reality is really what's key to making this work out. So we've got a great team. Our compassionate care program uh, is, a, is a call function that's happening out of our head office. And to give an example, we're, we're making almost 3,000 direct outreach calls um, on a, on a uh, weekly basis now to our, our residents. So we're in extreme contact with the people that are, that are finding challenge. But it's not just about rent collection. It's about checking in to see how they are, how they're doing, and giving them reassurance. So between the head office interaction that we've created new for this pandemic and, and the outreach that we've always had at the buildings, we're very much customer to customer managing this issue. Okay, great. Thank you. You're welcome. Your next question comes from the line of Jonathan Pletcher of TD Securities. Your line is open. Thanks. Uh, good morning. Um, just, just sticking with, just sticking with uh, Mark's um, question there on the on the um, renewals. He said you started increasing in in some markets in June. Um, are, is that something you're doing by city, by province? How how are you defining some markets? So it's broken down in a number of different ways. It's where the where the provinces um, have restrictions. We're obviously abiding by by those. Um, CapReit has taken a leadership role with other large uh, Canadian uh, apartment companies, whether they be public and private, and decided to discretionary not serve through this pandemic. And then we're looking at the building needs and the needs of the residents. So it's highly intensive by understanding what's happening in a building. Is the building affected by the pandemic or not? And then to a certain extent, are residents that are being affected by the pandemic or not? And consideration is being given to those folks that are, that are struggling to pay right now. So there's no, no sense in serving rent increases on people that are, have incomes impaired. Um, so we're mindful of, of the issues right down to that level. So you're almost, you're almost doing it by suite or by unit? Yeah, ultimately it's determined where the province will allow, where the market will bear, and where the resident can handle. Okay, and then just as as um, hopefully come out of this, and and you're able to to get renewals going again, are are there different rules in terms of being able to, to catch up on the renewals by by the different provinces? Uh, no, 
essentially where we've not served rent increases, we do not intend to go retroactively back. It's either been a suspension of the rent increase for the period served or the reset of a new increase date. So we've had a pause. That pause is being lifted and it won't have retroactive effect, but it will reestablish the process of lifting rents on renewal. Bearing in mind that it's a relatively small average of 2% or so that we're talking about here. Right, and would, and would you think you'd get a, a catch-up then in, in Q4? Yeah, as the, uh, yes, as, as the increases start to take effect, they will take effect in larger numbers, obviously, because of those on-hold uh, servicing of rent increases. So it won't follow a typical pattern. You will, you will see um, a catch-up. Some markets we had to serve the increase and just suspend charging it. Other markets we had to not serve it at all and reset the renewal date. Where the renewal dates have been reset, yes, you will see uh, catch up at a far greater pace than normal going forward, just not retroactive. Okay, and then just um, switching to the operating leases, um, looks like you have about I think four remaining. Do you think you get an opportunity to to buy those out this year? Yeah, we're we're pursuing those. We want as favorable terms as we had with the um, the ones that we've done to date. It's something that we're open to, but but only if the terms are highly favorable to Capri. We've generated uh, incredible uh, liquidity with the ones that we've done uh, to date. That continues to be extremely cost-effective capital. So yes, we would like to pursue, but but only if we can come to terms that are as good as the ones we've done, if not better, to date. Okay, thanks, I'll, uh, I'll turn it back. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Mark Marquitas of Desjardins. Your line is open. Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, all right. Front collection is very strong, and I'm not gonna beat a dead horse here, but I was just curious, I mean, 98%, how would that have compared to sort of the 2019 level? I mean, I know what your bad debt expense is. I'm just, I'm just curious what the collection rate would have been or if you even tracked that before. Yeah, it's, it's clearly affected by the pandemic. Um, you know, if you analyze our, our historical bad debt at a third of a percentage point and you look at a dragging receivable today, not bad debt, it's a dragging receivable, um, of, of 2%, it's, there's clearly a big difference. But the, the real question is, as tribunals open, as the economy reestablishes, we're accruing for just non-payment. That doesn't mean the people are gone. They're still in the home, and if they value their homes and have the ability to pay or have the interest in working with us uh, to repay, that money will be reversed over time. What, what nobody knows today is how many people will elect to leave with with a balance owing, which we can still pursue. So it's 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 obviously a, a greater number than what we're historically used to seeing, but not not necessarily uh, money that doesn't have the ability to be recovered. Right. Okay. Understood. Um, just um, on the on the acquisition market, I mean, you guys got great liquidity. Just curious. I'm aware of there's, or I think we're all aware there's a 
one or two significant portfolios. Um, I suspect you're kicking the tires, but maybe more just high level. Do you sense that competition in the market has uh, declined for uh, assets, or has it gotten stayed the same or gotten more intense? As we think, get back up here, I think that with the um, the pandemic, you would have obviously expected to be see a catch up of properties that weren't weren't marketed for obvious reasons. Um, but what we're seeing appears to be a greater than catch up uh, flow of acquisition opportunities. Um, there, there's no question that the volumes are are up. There also appears to be no question that apartments have been highly valued. There's there's two primary drivers. A, the resilience of the asset class has been proven out. And B, you've, you've seen a change in the financing environment so that yield spreads between 10-year money and cap rates are, are, are very favorable. So what capital is about there for real estate appears to be highly focused on residential uh, to date. So, you know, volumes are up. You would expect to see there's definite um, um, capital available for apartments. Um, we do expect to see some compression in cap rates, um, but during uncertain income times, that's that's the magic uh, in in underwriting. Okay, and would you expect is the is the buying competition for assets in, uh, stronger today or the same, or would you say it's come off a little bit? I, 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 I would say stronger, just given the fact that there's more volumes and it's not showing up in pricing. Got it. Okay. Um, last one for me. Um, I should remember this, Scott, because I know we had a discussion on it. Could you just kindly remind us on the um, the ins and outs uh, from a P&L perspective on the um, operating lease buyouts, please? Um, I mean, really, what it is is we had the NOI before. We'll continue to have the NOI. So there's no real movement from a core you know, operating NOI point of view. Um, really, all you have is the dilute effect of us having prepaid these in advance, um, uh, you know, of the buyout date. So having to put out that capital without incremental NOI, um, there will be a drag on earnings. Um, but we felt like the discount was attractive. Um, the the access to incredible financing opportunity as well as that development piece and just simplifying the balance sheet was worth worth the dilution. So it's really just the cost of that capital. Um, we put out some LP shares, um, which are effectively REIT shares, um, and uh, the rest in cash. So that, that's going to be the impact. That's a uh, useful refresher. Thank you, guys. Yeah, no Thank problem. you. Once again, if you would like to ask a question over the phone lines, please press star then one on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from the line of Mark Kornack of National Bank. Your line is open. Thanks. Everyone's Mark today. Um, hey, Matt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Mark. You're a Matt. <laughs> With regards to uh, the accounting for uh, your your rent, uh, I don't know how you treated it, but if you served rent increases, would those be included in, in your AMRs, or, or have you stripped them out for the purpose of presentation? Yeah. We, we, not, so for the renewals, where we deferred them, we're not recognizing those. Obviously, where the rental increases are, you know, on turnover, those become part of the AMR. Okay. Um, and our policy around bad debt is, you know, after 30 days. So 
there's a little bit of a lag effect between what we're showing on a collection basis and how it'll slowly trickle into our bad net amounts. Obviously, it's about a 30-day lag, so that would be the only thing to note. Rent increases are never accounted until the actual effective date. So anything that's served in advance isn't accounted for until they actually take effect. Okay, no, that, that's helpful. Um, with regards to uh, your portfolio, I mean, uh, you can't you can't evict people at current, or at least uh, I guess it's changing by market. But presumably, you've invested a lot in this portfolio over the last several years, uh, and your product may be more competitive. Would you expect that? even if things continue to be a little bit weaker, that CAP's portfolio would uh, outperform some of your peers that maybe haven't as invested as much uh, in that you'd attract some of those tenants that may be leaving those properties? Well, the ability, the ability, our experience is the ability to pay is on the high end of mid-tier and the low end of uh, luxury. And, uh, you know, the high end of luxury um, tends to get affected when there's economic change, and the high end of mid-tier tends to attract the most financially stable residents. So the resilience of the CAPRI portfolio is uh, really does show up in, in the value-add buildings. So the buildings that we've bought, at, it's now 50% of replacement cost permits us to charge 50% of market rents in terms of new construction. So, you know, I talked about our average rents in Regina being a low of, of a buck ten a foot, and BC, which is the, the higher end market rent, uh, close to $2 in terms of existing average rents. That makes us an extremely attractive offering in difficult economic times. So it's still highly, highly affordable. You, don't, you only have to do the math of, you know, uh, taking those average rents, multiplying it by 800 square feet, and realizing that you can definitely get into that affordability index of 35% of gross income for an average Canadian household income of less than $70,000. So, or, sorry, uh, $78,000, I think it is. But we're 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 in great shape in terms of serving the needs of the market in uncertain economic times. We will be a fantastic offering as we go through this. If, if there's challenging economic times on the other side of this, and if there's good economic times, we've, we've proved that we're a good affordability option in terms of the cost of new construction. So either side of the equation, cap rates well, well positioned. Makes sense. And, and then I guess on the balance sheet uh, front, I, I mean, if anything, you're, you're flush with capital. Um, it doesn't sound like there are going to be any deals on multifamily assets in Canada. Just just interested in your thoughts on having so much financial capacity plus the potential to upfinance some of your existing mortgages at low interest rates. Uh, are, you, are you just going to remain low leverage or, or what do you anticipate doing with that uh, excess capacity? Well, there, 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 it remains to be seen because we're we're barely in the second inning of this baseball game. Mm -hmm. um, but what we have seen is um, in just in the last few weeks, uh, deal flow is definitely up in terms of offerings. That could be for a number of different reasons. But if that deal flow does stay, stay up and the buyers aren't in lockstep of taking those deals, which they appear to be today, then, then we'll continue to do accretive acquisitions. And as, as many of them 
that makes uh, sense for the CapReach portfolio. My, my commitment to, to shareholders, unit holders, has been that we'll buy acquisitions that improve the accretive pro, uh, profile of the CapReach portfolio. So for deals that are in the markets that we like, that have growth, that can add to the accretive pool, uh, CapReach will be there to seize those opportunities. And we've got a platform to add value, so we will continue to do that. So my, my outlook is actually quite quite strong, um, and uh, but we have to be patient and, and we have to be disciplined with how we deploy the capital, which we've got a great track record of doing. Absolutely. And I think just on the mortgage portfolio, we're really we're doing our best to get all these mortgages processed with CMHC, um, but we're, you know we're creating flexibility on when we can execute on them. So you know. Uh, at our size, we're happy to be sitting on some cash in, in today's environment, um, but we'll, we'll be, you know, prudently um, working through those through the year and into 2021. Okay, so you may not uh, immediately sort of exercise on some of that financing capacity. Yeah, I mean, uh, we obviously, you know, balance between having some some real liquidity uh, as opposed to perceived liquidity through top up. So, you know, sitting on some cash is good. But the CMH certificate lasts six months, and our lenders are, you know, usually very flexible uh, as far as that. So um, we'll commit some just to make sure we're we're catching some of the low interest rates, but uh, we can we can scale that throughout the year. Okay, perfect. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Your next question comes from line of Mario Sarek of Scotiabank. Your line is open. Hi. Thank you. Good morning. Hey, Mario. Good morning. Um, Mark, Mark, you mentioned the, uh, the tribunals are starting to open up in some of the provinces. Uh, do you have any sense on how prepared uh, these tribunals may be to perhaps handle a bit of an increased workload going forward and how that impacts kind of your leasing and, and rent decisions within the portfolio going forward? Yeah. So there, there's two parts of the equation. There's the tribunals and their ability to issue orders, and then there's the execution of those orders, which typically go through the the sheriff's office, um, and that's where the challenges are going to be. So the ability to execute on a judgment will be um, the challenge that uh, that we're hopeful uh, that governments are seeing, um, but that's to be determined still. The, the point that I can't emphasize enough, though, is that uh, these are people's homes, and we are not motivated uh, at all to disturb people's homes. And as long as we have payment plans in place and we can work with people, then we can we can stretch this out. Nobody wins by by um, uh, evicting people that are trying to do the right thing. So I, I'm very hopeful that um, none of this uh, business of somebody's home is, is lost on any of us. So our goal isn't to, to get evicting. Our goal is to um, getting getting our our residents back on a stable footing. Yeah, I understood. Uh, thank you for the color on that. Um, switching gears just to to market rents, you know, we're, we're seeing maybe a little bit of pressure at uh, higher price points in in some of your markets. Uh, have have you felt at your kind of dollar ten to two dollars, as you mentioned in in Regina to Vancouver? Have, have you seen any? pressure on market rents in, in your buildings the past three months? The, uh, 
the early pressures are being um, obviously tested at the higher rent levels. Um, the, uh, the perfect place to be, as I said, is at the high end of mid-tier as we go into this. Um, and uh, the, 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 the current issues, and again, it's early days, but the current issues that we're seeing is, uh, is in the big cities, in the core, uh, is where the, where the issues seem to be. Um, you know, buildings that would traditionally cater to students are going to come under short-term pressure. Um, buildings that are in downtown locations um, are coming under pressure. With a lot of offices not being open and people working from home, the, uh, the desire to be in the core of a big city is eased right now. I'm not calling that as a long-term trend. I'm, I'm, I don't subscribe to the end of urbanization, but I completely understand that in these circumstances, being in the core is going to be a challenge. So um, what we are seeing, though, is uh, the core cannot be confused with the suburbs of the big cities. The suburbs of the big cities are actually quite strong and doing well. Um, so in general, it's, it's, it's luxury and, and core. And, and those uh, challenges, I think, will be um, relatively short-lived. You know, and it's not, it's not surprising that uh, buildings that would traditionally uh, cater to students are buildings that you would find in the core, because that happens to be where big Canadian universities are typically located. Got it. And, uh, you know, from an acquisition standpoint, you mentioned fairly high volumes and there seems to be support during the pricing. Uh, when you look at deploying capital going forward and if we were to break down the opportunities that between downtown kind of urban core and, and suburbs, uh, in your mind, the, has pricing changed uh, over the long term uh, for the downtown core product uh, as a result of what's happened or is it I, a, a shorter I don't think. I, I don't think so. I think that, um, you know, the cities aren't going away and people choose to live in cities for reasons that go beyond, you know, their office being down the street. Um, and as we get back to a more normal way of living, um, people will come to appreciate restaurants and theaters and parks and all the other reasons that people live in, in cities. Um, I think that um, uh, the, our outlook is not a secret. Um, it's shared by others. But the, on the acquisition front, the strength will be in value-add properties. Okay, um, Because in the value-add properties, you still see rents growing on turnover. Whereas in new construction properties, where everything's at market, you will tend to see an erosion of rent roll value uh, over the next six months to 12 months. So it's very hard to underwrite new construction today if you have an eroding rent roll. It's less risk when you know you're going in yield and rents are, are growing on, on turnover, and that's what you see in the value-add portfolio. Got it. Okay, well, that makes sense. Uh, and then just really quickly on the uh, lease renewal rent increases that were... I guess deferred or frozen. I guess in some provinces, as you mentioned, they were served and essentially abated, for lack of a better word. And yep. those would presumably start kicking in sooner as opposed to later. 
in the in the other provinces where they weren't served, what, what's the time period uh, involved in terms of actually seeing those rent increases come through the P&L? It, it varies. It varies between uh, uh, sixty and ninety days. Actually, it varies across the country, thirty to ninety days, depending on what province you're in. But if you didn't serve the if you didn't serve the increase, you're you're waiting between thirty and sixty, depending on where you are. Okay. My last question, just on utility costs, they're up eight point three percent in Q two on the same property basis. Uh, they were down five point seven in Q one. Uh, presumably higher utility costs because people are are staying home. Is, is that all there is to it, or is there is there anything else that kind of would explain some of the variability that we're seeing on a quarter to quarter basis? No, that, 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 that's problem. Yeah, go ahead, Scott. No, I'll let Scott take that. I was just going to say it's it's a combination of people being in the home, but also just weather patterns always obviously uh, change things. Um, our winter versus what the spring looked like. So, um, and utility costs have moved around a little bit, but that's not the driving thing. It's definitely uh, weather and uh, and people staying at home. Um, we at least we the one side uh, positive side we have our electricity. We've got uh, over at least seventy percent submitted now, so that continues to help us mitigate. Um, some of the higher usage costs, for sure. Cap, Cap, CapRe continues to elect to not enforce the downloading of that remaining 30%. Our approach has been to do it on turnover when somebody knows they're paying for hydro. We think that's, that's a more fair uh, proposition. But we do have that ability to reduce rent by the amount of hydro being generated by the unit. We've just elected to, to be sensitive to our our residents on that. Understood. That makes sense. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thank you. There are no further questions over the phone lines at this time. I turn the call back over to Mr. Kenny. Uh, okay. So thank you again for your time and attention today. And if you have any further questions, please don't hesitate to contact us at any time. Thanks again, and have a great day. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.